1: In a place like Kodak, those inventions, they just get lost in the clutter of, we're the best, shut up, do your job.
0: Welcome to episode 31 of The Great Fail, a podcast that examines the greatest success stories and their spectacular fails, what led to the demise of the most prolific people, brands, and companies. I am your host, Deborah Chen, and this week we'll be looking at the Eastman Kodak Company. The year was 1975, and it was the moment that Stephen Sasson presented his invention to the executives at Eastman Kodak. A young engineer then, he was tasked with figuring out if the charge-coupled device, otherwise known as digital imaging, could have any purpose or use in photography. It turned out to be a simpler project than he thought. Assassin, while working on the project, assembled a contraption the size of a toaster oven that could save images using electronic currents that were then stored digitally onto a cassette tape. And by attaching the device to a TV screen would allow viewers to see images. In fact, 30 images displayed within 23 seconds. It was absolutely remarkable and in that moment, Sasson, an employee at Kodak, unveiled to its senior executives the world's first digital camera. Except what occurred next was beyond Sasson's comprehension. Rather than having his idea be embraced with enthusiasm and excitement, he watched with dismay and confusion as each blank-faced executive, seemingly unimpressed, Mm. proceeded with an air of flippancy and expressed a disinterest to pursue what Sassin had feverishly worked on for months. Collectively, they decided to shelve it indefinitely. Unfortunately, they wouldn't realize that Sassin's discovery and their decision was going to change the fate of Kodak. Welcome to the story of Kodak. Developed in the darkroom in 1888, overexposed and expired by 2012. When you reflect on the most iconic business fails, inevitably, Kodak comes up high on the list. After all, it was once one of the most powerful companies in the world, and nowadays, Capturing precious moments no longer requires the namesake company. And the standalone camera itself? Well, it's no longer a household item. For most who have turned their smartphones to snap and share photos from anywhere in the world in a matter of seconds. But there was a time, and I recall this vividly, when vacations and events wouldn't be complete without our family camera. It was this big, bulky, but beautiful piece of equipment because back then it was pretty cutting edge. And you'd have to pop in the 35 millimeter film a certain way into the back of the camera, which if you didn't get it in right, would expose too much light to the film and completely screw up your photos, which was like flushing $10 down the drain. And then once we were done taking the photos, I'd go with my mom to the local drugstore, like our local Rite Aid or CVS or Duane Reed, which had these photo processing centers drop off our film and have to wait three to five days or sometimes even over a week to have them print out our photos onto paper. Because back then, you'd have to wait a long time to see how these photos turned out. Over the years, it progressed to a quicker turnaround time, and then we would sit around and look at the photos together, sift through them, organize them, and put them into our photo albums. And it was a thing. The way we capture moments now has dramatically evolved over time, and Kodak has been our guide. Kodak's first camera was iconic because it put photography into the hands of the general public. The company was with us throughout the heydays of the one-hour photo into the digital era. And these days, digital photos don't just live on the camera or the family computer. We can text them, we can post them, and send them to self-destruct timers, even turn them into memes. For all of that, we owe Eastman Kodak a big thank you for democratizing photography. They dominated the consumer photography market for over a century, but what's so interesting as I was doing research on the downfall of Kodak, was that with the number of ways we can take photos, the answer seems simple at first. But when you look closer at the company's history, you'll come to see that ironically, what made them so successful was what ultimately killed off the company.
1: The Kodak story is a poster child, as we say, story of an organization that was very successful extraordinarily successful and some of the very activities and interactions and challenges and the like that came from the success created a dynamic which ultimately created a culture and a way of operating that killed the success completely.
0: That was John Cotter, our special guest for this episode. He's a professor at Harvard Business School who has authored several bestsellers on this topic and will help break down how Kodak was a lesson in how a series of mistakes, including the culture at Kodak, could forever damage a once picture perfect pioneer. You press the button, we do the rest. That was an advertising slogan coined by George Eastman, the founder of Kodak, in 1888 when he created the first commercialized camera on the market. Eastman, an avid photographer, believed in making photography available to the world. In other words, empowering people to do their own picture taking. Until then, taking photographs was a complicated process that can only be accomplished if a photographer knew how to process and develop his own film. Eastman, who came up with the name of the company himself, started with the letter K because he thought it sounded strong and then tried out a bunch of other combinations with other letters, finally landing one that sounded legit. And he certainly hit the nail on that as the brand Kodak would come to command the entire photography industry worldwide. Kodak was a trailblazer with its innovation, adopting a wildly successful business model called the razor and blade, in which you sell something for cheap and make the real money selling supplies for it. In this model, a single sale creates a recurring revenue stream. And that single sale was in the cameras, which Kodak made very affordable. After all, the money was in the film, the printing sheets, and other accessories with much higher margins that would be the bread and butter for Kodak. And it worked very well for a very long time.
1: They pioneered products in their industry that were so good that they gained huge market share and had all the advantages of huge market share, which is to say you get economies of scale and you get brand recognition and it's very difficult to compete with them. And so once they get going, it's almost as if they get lift They get the wind behind them, and without taking particularly innovative or clever or new steps, the wind behind them, produced by being not a monopoly but pretty close, carries you to growth and profitability and what looks like a phenomenal success story. And that's what happened to Kodak.
0: And if you recall, their presence was so prevailing that the tagline, Kodak Moment, became a ubiquitous lexicon that referred to memorable moments that could be captured in a photograph. At its height, Kodak was one of the most valuable brands in the world. But over time, the company would go from household name to a nostalgic throwback. What could have happened to cause them to fade away like an old photograph? And when did the red flags start to show?
1: Well, it was when some real competition actually began to emerge. And the competition leveraged off of new technology, most of all. I mean, that was the biggest thing, the switch to digital and it came from not within the United States, but from without the United States, from Japan. And just like the automakers, I mean, Kodak's story has a lot of similarities with the automakers in Detroit. Japan comes in with a different product that can compete. And Kodak, with its dysfunctional culture by that point, a certain degree of arrogance, a inward focus... Not much leadership appreciated. People have been hired and promoted just to keep up with the growth during the glory years, which is just to manage this thing and keep it from you know spinning apart because they're growing so fast. An overmanaged, underled, arrogant culture tends not to pay well. It doesn't pay attention to potential new competitors, and they didn't, or they systematically overestimate the superiority of their products or underestimate the amount of technological change happening.
0: When you've been successful for so long, it's hard to imagine that the winning streak might end. Many have traced the downfall of Kodak all the way from the time the company decided not to pursue its digital camera strategy. While Kodak might not have seen the potential in the digital future, Sasson sure did. Of course, there were no cell phones, no internet. Most televisions were black and white, and computers were still ginormous back then. It may have been ahead of its time, but ultimately, that invention just sat there for years. It was also reported that Sasson's bosses strictly forbade him to talk about this publicly or show the prototype he created to people outside of Kodak because... Well, management feared that this would cannibalize its core business, the razor and blade model it had executed so successfully for over a century. Around the 1980s, things began to quickly evolve within the photography industry. Despite being the first to create a product that would set a bar, Kodak's management failed to grasp the importance of that. Instead, because Kodak held a lion's share of the film market at the time and was fearful and resistant to change, even while others within the organization saw how quickly it was beginning to happen all around them.
1: This also is a standard piece of these stories. It's not at all unusual that a firm with a lot of success that developed a toxic culture well, still, nevertheless, because they have money and because they continue to do R&D or whatever, will somebody there will start inventing pieces of the future, but they will be ignored or not funded sufficiently. And, and we're back to arrogance again. You know, what is this guy down here? As a matter of fact, people run the numbers. They start worrying about competing with themselves. The classic problem, you know, this new device, the main success, if it is successful, it'll be taking away our existing customers, undercutting our current profitability is very high. And usually the profitability on new ventures is lower. And in a place like Kodak, therefore, those inventions sometimes literally don't even get a serious senior management discussion. They just get lost in the clutter of we're the best, shut up, (laughs) do your job.
0: Seeing digital as a threat to their own film products, rather than an evolution of it, Kodak chose not to pursue it. That was the first of several heavy blows that would eventually bring the company down. Secondly, it seemed that the company and its vision of other competitors was myopic. Blinded by its own success and convinced that they were infallible, Kodak couldn't see the ways in which other companies were advancing. They completely missed the rise of technology and as other players like Sony, Canon, and Fujifilm saw an entry into the digital space, they moved quickly. Their new digital cameras were far greater than the prototypes Sassin had introduced almost a decade before. In fact, it was noted that while Kodak was stagnant, companies like Fuji aggressively pursued new technologies as well as opportunities. Like in the 1984 Olympics, when Fuji became the official sponsor after Kodak declined, a move that broke Fuji into the U.S. market. A second death knell for Kodak.
1: The problem is if you've got this kind of toxic culture that can come from success, even when the evidence becomes overwhelming that things are changing out there and you've got to react the organization tends to and kodak did not react react slowly react clumsily i mean they look from the outside it's almost hard to believe but that's what happens when too much success produces kind of a toxic inwardly focused arrogant culture they ignore the competition window that eventually comes along and it leads to their demise.
0: Before we continue, a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Ping Identity. Being in a time of extraordinary digitization, identity security is becoming more critical. If you're not an identity expert, that's okay, because we have Ping Identity, a leader and champion of enterprise identity security. And now, Ping Identity is bringing you Hello, user, an educational podcast that covers all things identity security. The podcast is hosted by Richard Byrd, Chief Customer Information Officer at Ping Identity, and he's one of the most respected voices in the identity space. In each episode, Richard will welcome an expert to discuss why identity touches virtually every part of our lives and why we need to be informed. Topics like how identity theft victims can be made whole again, something that millions of Americans have grappled with. There are lessons, there are tools, and you'll learn how identity shapes your digital experiences. Check it out and listen at pingidentity.com forward slash podcasts or wherever you prefer to get your podcast. Are you missing calls from new clients and losing leads that visit your website? Clients demand an instant response, but business owners and their sales teams are already spread so thin. So what do you do when you're juggling too much, but you want to add more clients? Here's where Smith AI comes in. They deliver best-in-class receptionists by phone, chat, and text to unlock new business growth and improve client service. Smith AI is not your average receptionist service. Their friendly professional agents do much more than answer calls. They screen leads using your custom criteria schedule appointments on your calendar and call back leads who complete your web forms. And they do all of this by phone and through your website on a 24 seven live chat service. They log new contacts and conversations in your business software and on your calendar. So everything is in sync. Smith AI helps thousands of businesses and they're ready to help you too. Finally, you can work uninterrupted, run your business under less stress and get more leads from your marketing efforts. Plans start at $210 a month and podcast listeners get a $100 discount with promo code TGF100. That's TGF100. Sign up and learn more at www.smith.ai. Trust me when I say, don't let another day go by. Try Smith AI. After almost a century as the industry leader, Kodak's top executives were incapable of imagining that Kodak could ever fail. That hubris, that complacency would infect the company, becoming handcuffs for the entire organization, even as other employees saw what was imminent. In 1989, after a two-year bidding war with another suitor, Kodak finally won and purchased the global pharmaceutical company Sterling Drug for $5.1 billion, thinking that it would become a chemical business with the division of photography. However, many thought they overpaid for the acquisition by more than double. It started its bid around $40 per share and ended it two years later with $89 per share. It's said that they won over investors by claiming strong synergies that the companies fit together. But that wasn't the case. It took roughly about four years to realize that the production of photography kind of didn't have anything to do with aspirin and cardiovascular drugs. So Kodak sold off that division for half of what they paid a major corporate blunder. It would be 12 more years later before Kodak attempted another acquisition. In 2001, by then, the company was preparing for the growth of photo sharing, and they acquired the company Ophoto. Now keep in mind, this was long before social media The acquisition of photo sharing site was pretty pioneering and ahead of its time. But Kodak completely missed the mark. Because instead of catapulting this into a new category of sharing photos within a community, they instead used Ophoto in a way to get people to just print more digital images.
1: That also is not unusual. That at a certain point, it's so glaringly obvious that they have to, a company has to do something. That senior management decides, well, we've got to move, so let's buy a solution to the problem. So it's M&A time. But they don't recognize that with the type of culture we're talking about, you buy something and then your culture systematically kills it. It just happens. It's an organ that's being rejected by the body.
0: Another fatal mistake when you think about the possibilities and how they could have actually been an early developer of a service like Instagram. It's worth noting that by the time Kodak released its first digital camera into the market in 1991, stores were already flooded with competition. They never did catch up. And despite being the behemoth in the industry, from 2003 to 2011, Kodak, not being able to compete in digital camera sales, was unable to find anything that could replace its outdated model, never seeing profitability again. Decades later, when asked about senior management's reaction to his pioneering invention, Steve Sasson would say in an interview with the New York Times that the reaction he received from the executives were essentially,
1: That's cute, kid. Don't tell anybody about it.
0: In more recent years, the term Kodak moment has taken on a new meaning, referring to when a business starts to lose its market relevance. After being an undisputed leader in film photography, it never saw or cared to see the structural shift that technology was advancing toward, even if they were the first to have developed it.
1: It's not at all unusual, any sorts of stories, that somebody in the company actually does develop the next generation or does develop something that is innovative or is comparable to what this emerging competition is doing. But with a part of the toxic culture is this arrogance and inward focus. The arrogance, it's subtle. I mean, it's, but it affects everything. So senior management is looking at the financials. The financials look terrific. They're growing, they're profitable. There's always a a natural tendency in modern organizations to lean towards stability and survival over risk-taking and change. And especially when senior management really is management, not leadership. They want predictable earnings to satisfy the financial community. Therefore, in that kind of environment, innovations from within very often get stuck in the middle and they don't even make it to senior management or if they do they make it in a way that they don't get a real hearing a real discussion a real analysis
0: kodak had been given ample time to catch up and it's important to note that there's a clear distinction between management and leadership So what are the warning signs when companies management is actually butchering its own innovation?
1: It's the modern organization in its worst form with too much siloed, too bureaucratic, too change unfriendly, and yet at the same time, too much arrogance and hubris and ego thinking we know best, which leads to not paying attention to what's happening around you and leads to not enough people being promoted because they can provide leadership, not just excellent management, and kills off conversations of change and new so easily. The more stable the world is, see, the more that that toxicity doesn't necessarily kill you.
0: In 2012, Kodak filed for bankruptcy, hard to believe for a company that at one point held 90% of the market share on films and 85% on camera sales, a company that revolutionized an industry and led it for over 100 years. It was a strong message to the business world that when a company begins to operate out of fear and loses sight of where the industry is going, as well as what the consumers really want, it loses sight of its value proposition. Kodak started making other products like inkjet printers in hopes to push people towards another purchase instead of actually innovating within their own industry. As part of their bankruptcy plan, They sold their online photo service business to Shutterfly for $23.8 million. That certainly was not a Kodak moment. Special thanks to John Cotter for his contributions to this episode and sharing his research and commentary on the beloved camera company, Kodak. And thank you for tuning in to this week's The Great Fail... Please make sure to visit our website at thegreatfail.com for behind the scene audio and video footage. If you like these episodes and want us to continue bringing you more, please subscribe to our newsletter because, well, not connecting with you would be our great fail. While you're at it, simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us out too. The research on each episode is extensive, but none of them would be possible without the tireless efforts of researchers, writers, and reporters. They are all credited on thegreatfail.com under our show notes. Lastly, you can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at the Great Pod, And please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on iTunes to show your support. We'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. And remember, folks, With great failure comes great liability. I
1: must confess, I did what I did. Now my life's a mess.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part?